Welcome back to the Loading Bar Podcast, where we started off last week with part one of our Dark Souls 2 review. We made the Autumn Fizz, and we finished off with the gameplay of Dark Souls 2. This week we'll be looking at Scholar of the First Sin. Scholar is not a new game or a new DLC, it's both. It is Dark Souls 2 in its entirety, but with updating graphics, areas, NPCs, gameplay elements, and basically things that make the rushed first version better. It also includes all of the DLC, which I strongly recommend and we'll be discussing later. Last episode, I mentioned that we would be making three drinks based off of gin. The two for this episode will be In the Weeds and the Long Island Iced Tea. So stay tuned for that, but for now, let's hop back into Dark Souls 2. As I was saying, Scholar of the First Sin is not a new game. It is a complete revamp of the first game. All of the things that initially the developers wanted to do, all of the things that they wanted to make sense, the graphical updates, everything. Yoshimura, in an interview with Polygon, stated, This is not just a remaster, it's also recreating the game. It's honestly a shame that developers are still under these crunch times for games that obviously need more time before their scheduled release. Recent games such as Anthem and The Avengers showcase this. I think that companies need to realize that the value of time when attempting to make something groundbreaking is more important than just pumping it out. Recently, Cyberpunk 2077 was released, much to the frustrations of everyone. It was rushed, it was promised to be a huge amazing product, and it just didn't deliver. In all honesty, this should not be a problem. Having your game delayed in order to make sure it's every bit the game that you want it to be is a totally reasonable action. Scholar of the First Sin was a second chance of providing fans a far more original vision of what the developers wanted, and in my opinion, it more than delivered. Things like enemy and NPC placement, item locations, and DLC were tweaked in order to fit the narrative better. The DLC especially I find was very organic and honestly felt like the main game still, and had I not known about it prior, I would have thought it was. So as I mentioned, part of Scholar of the First Sin was that it had all of the DLCs included. These DLCs were the Crown of the Sunken King, Crown of the Old Iron King, and Crown of the Ivory King. Each of them is distinct in the area, the bosses, the enemy placement, the enemies themselves, everything, the weapons, the equipment, the story, making them, in my opinion, probably the best DLC trilogy that the Dark Souls series would ever have. So let's start off with the first DLC, Crown of the Sunken King. Crown of the Sunken King was the first of the Crown Trilogy DLC released on July 22nd, 2014. Like many DLCs in the Soul series, it is accessed via a special item that is added to your inventory in order to get to this area, or to talk to a certain NPC. To access this one, the player needs to go to Black Gulch by entering and traversing the pit outside the manor. Once accessing the primal bonfire there, there is an obelisk that the player interacts with using the Dragon Talon in order to be transported to the beginning of the DLC. Access was changed slightly in Scholar of the First Sin as now you needed to slay the Rotten, a boss in Black Gulch, to obtain the Forgotten Key, which opens the door that leads to the Dragon Talon. The area starts you off in a subterranean city. Some rooms filled with bulbous glowing eggs and webs. Interspersed with more knights of various sizes, you must travel the city to find standing switches. These switches control the skyline and outline of the city and create new pathways for you to navigate. You then venture through a labyrinth of corridors, spiked floors, ghostly swordsmen, leading to the first boss of the DLC, the Squalid Queen. 
The boss hurls magic and summons skeleton warriors throughout the fight and can be defeated easily if you get close enough. The next boss is just around the corner after you defeat the queen. The door she guards opens up to the dragon's rest bonfire, directly in front of your next fog wall. This next boss is Sin, the slumbering dragon. It is incredibly aggressive with various fire attacks, flying dives and flailing limbs if you get too close. It also leaves behind clouds of poison gas on occasion, so carrying antidotes is crucial unless you plan to magic your way through it from a distance. After Sin's defeat, you venture deeper into the caverns where you navigate a gauntlet of knights, poison shooting statues, and frog fangs. And with the help of your NPC summons, you fight three bosses at once. These are the afflicted grave robber, ancient soldier Varg, and Sira, the old explorer. This is like one big PvP fight or an invasion fight. Lots of running around, switching targets, and outskilling each other. For those who have played Dark Souls 1, you may notice that Ancient Soldier Varg is wearing the full Havel the Rock set from the first game. And with their defeat, we have the first DLC completed. A good start, but I find this not to be as good as the next ones. Now let's take a look at our next drink for the evening. In the Weeds. For this, you will need 2 ounces of Nolet's Dry Gin, or Dry Gin, or just gin, 1 ounce yellow chartreuse, chartreuse, I never know how to say that, 0.5 ounces of lime juice, 0.5 ounces of lemon juice, 0.75 ounces of tarragon tea syrup, and tarragon leaves for garnish. Now, what is tarragon tea syrup? Basically what you do is you combine two cups of water, half a cup of sugar, half a cup of fresh tarragon in a saucepan, and bring to a boil. Then you remove the heat, allow it to cool, and then you have tarragon tea syrup. Once you have that, combine all the ingredients into a cocktail shaker with ice and stir. Strain into a martini glass and garnish with tarragon leaves and you're good to go. Now let's take a look at the next DLC, Crown of the Old Iron King. This DLC, in my opinion, is the hardest of the three. Crown of the Old Iron King is a total of three areas, eight enemies, and three bosses. The beginning of the DLC can be categorized in one all-encompassing statement. Ash. Ash and fire everywhere. The Crown of the Old Iron King starts you off in a dilapidated tower with dead knights littering the ground and a strange ashen creature with multiple arms. The only way forward is a giant chain linking to another tower. As you run across this area, you can't help but feel uneasy as your experiences tell you that something is going to happen to either knock you off or attack you on this thin pathway but nothing does. Instead, you get this beautiful and haunting landscape of ash and forgotten towers, which gives you a sense of both wonder and dread for what's to come. Broom Tower is filled with large and mobile knights that spring out of the ashen ground to ruin your day. Not to mention they are buffed by the ashen idols. What are these creatures? They are 12 parts of the ashen queen that split her soul and each one must be destroyed. Remember the ashen creature I mentioned with the various arms? This is the first instance that the DLC shows you what it is, and even how to deal with them. If you interact with it, you will receive a smelter wedge, which is used to kill these things. The tower is themed after a giant forge, with gears and carts and materials that seem to lay dormant as you journey through its passages and corridors. Eventually, you do ignite the tower, and operations spring to life, with minecarts and gears going back to their original functions. These allow you to traverse the tower. The new enemy types are downright aggressive. Ashen warriors pop out of the ground sporting two axes and a preference for mobbing the player with sheer numbers. Ashen idols can provide buffs to these guys that make them even more of a chore to defeat, like restoring health or making them invincible until the idol is dealt with. 
possessed armor hiding the alcoves of corridors clipping you off with arrows and taking big sword swings at you should you get too close. And iron warriors are 20 foot tall knights with 20 foot tall weapons that just ruin any chance you had of progressing forward. This is nowhere near the end of enemies you will face in this DLC, but these three are what I would say are the most common. The first boss you encounter is a newer, tougher, bluer smelter demon. Smelter Demon is a boss that you encounter in the base game, halfway through the Iron Keep. The attacks are largely the same, but instead of being powered by fire, the Smelter Demon is magic based. This fight is basically the same as the first one, same moveset, with different resistances. If you can, there are two NPC summons that you can take with you to make the fight easier, but this does make the demon's health larger to compensate. The next boss that you will face in this DLC is a complete and utter monster. Remember how I was talking about how Ornstein and Smo were incredibly memorable fights because of their difficulty? Fume Knight does that just by himself. At this point in the game, I would say he is the hardest boss I've ever fought. Fume Knight sports a rapier in one hand and a greatsword in the other that will completely one-shot you in some instances. His moveset is so varied that it's really difficult to anticipate what he'll end up doing next. Not to mention that in the arena you face him in, there is a pulsing warmth coming from one end that will completely heal him if he gets too close. But you can turn this off ahead of time by finding the corresponding Ashen Idol. Should you get Fume Knight to half health, he will enter his second phase, dropping the rapier completely and infusing his greatsword with dark fire. This also changes his moveset once again, making it hard to read. The final boss of this DLC is Sir Alone, an eastern knight with similarities to the Alone Knights you fight as regular enemies in the Iron Keep. He uses a huge katana and makes big lunges to clear the distance between you and him. Whatever you do, do not attack this guy when he holds his sword on the left side. This is a parry position which will deflect your attack, followed by a heavy ground stab. Alone is a very mobile boss, with lunges and big jumps away and towards you. Two other notable moves that Alone pulls out are his Dark Wave and his Life Drain. The former launches a wave of dark at the player and the latter is a lunging stab that takes some of your health and buffs his sword. This entire fight is a test of endurance and timing where you have to be patient and slowly select when to attack, keeping an eye on what Alone is going to do next to effectively dodge a block. Once you finish off the final Ashen Idol, you will receive the soul of Nadalia, the Ashen Bride, and can pin this DLC in the finish pile. Let's move on to the last drink of this two-parter, the Long Island Iced Tea. Many of you already probably know how to make this or had this, so I don't think I should get too many complaints for not being really diverse with my choices on this one. For this you will need three quarters of an ounce of vodka, three quarters of an ounce of white rum, three quarters of an ounce of silver tequila, three quarters of an ounce gin, three quarters of an ounce triple sec, three quarters of an ounce simple syrup, three quarters of an ounce lemon juice freshly squeezed, cola to top, and garnish with a lemon wedge. What you'll need to do is take all your ingredients, add to a Collins glass filled with ice, top off with a splash of cola, stir briefly, garnish with a lemon wedge, serve with a straw. If you're up for it, I suggest making a picture of this. But for now, we're going into the final DLC of Dark Souls 2, Crown of the Ivory King. Out of all of the DLCs, this one has to be my favorite. The Crown of the Ivory King is a frozen, desolate keep. Looking across the vast, icy landscape, you feel like life hasn't warmed the halls of this kingdom in a very long time. The wind blowing excess snow across the world is the only side of movement aside from yourself, until you reach the front door. 
A massive blast of snow rushes over you when you get too close to the front gates, and icy tendrils explode from the gate, followed by a voice warning you of the folly of entering this keep. You are approaching Elum Lois. Turn back. The old chaos still lingers. Frozen Elum Lois. Frozen Elum Lois is the first area, and what an entrance. A complete contrast to Broom Tower's fire and brimstone. Everything is frozen over and covered in fog. Even the basic enemies are totally ice. Throughout your exploration of Elum Lois, you hear a voice that constantly tells you to go back and that there's nothing here but death and ice. This warning will eventually pop up again before you fight the first boss. The first boss is a giant icy white saber-toothed tiger named Ava, the king's pet. She isn't as aggressive as you might first assume, with moves that are easily telegraphed before attacking. She does have the ability to shoot clusters of seeking ice magic, create ice pillars that pop up out of the ground, and various claw attacks. As you probably might think, pyromancy is going to be a huge help in this area. Ava is no exception. After putting Kitty on ice, you rest at the bonfire and finally meet the ominous voice that has been warning you since you got here. She explains that this land has been ravaged by chaos until the Ivory King sacrificed himself and used his soul to contain said chaos in everlasting ice, halting the spread but ultimately freezing the kingdom in time. The voice states that it has remained to keep the chaos contained in honor of the Ivory King, waiting for the faint hope that he may return. She beseeches you to free her lord from the chaos as you have proven yourself by defeating Ava. By accepting, she opens the path to chaos for you. What's that mean? The icy winds have stopped and you have a clear path to the second boss. Before you lies the gate to fight the boss. But all around you are chairs, with a singular knight standing watch. The voice tells you that there are more knights that can be found and seek a new leader. Here, you have two options. Go in and fight the boss immediately, or find the stalwart knights that fill the seats of these chairs. If you do, they will fight with you. Between you and me, there really only is one option. Get those knights of the round table. How cool is that? It's a quest to find heroes to help you push back the unending chaos that has tried to ravage the lands. A last ditch effort to redeem this kingdom and its warriors. This got me so hyped up when I first played it, and obviously still does. Dark Souls never really did anything like this in the series ever again, which both is a shame, but also makes this moment stand out and remain special. Once you get all the knights together, you can also summon NPCs Lucatil of Mira and Twiggy Shea, who will add to your numbers in your fight against the Burnt Ivory King, the highlight boss of the DLCs. Fighting the Burnt Ivory King in Old Chaos starts you and your knights fighting the Ivory King's Burnt Knights. There are portals that continuously summon these knights, and your task is to keep the number of them as low as possible so that your knights can shut off the portals. If you aren't fast enough, you will easily be overwhelmed. After you take the last knights out, the Burnt Ivory King shows up out of a hellish portal. If you're lucky, you will have an extra knight by your side to fight him with you. He has two phases, one with your basic weapon attacks and one where he buffs his sword and it'll also be longer, changes his moveset, and his thrust attacks can now take you out in one shot. Should you die, it is important to note that you don't lose your knights, but you do have to start all over again with the closing of the portals. Once you beat the king, there is a big beam of light that takes you back up to the entrance where you started. Talking to the elusive voice once again gives you some explanation into who she is, and it turns out she was a parasitic piece of darkness that latched onto the king. 
but was ultimately moved by the comfort she received from him, and so took up his wishes in order to halt the spread of chaos. Epic stuff. You may think you're done, and you would be right, but there is one more optional boss that you can fight should you choose. The boss itself is not really the challenge, but the path leading up to it is, making it kind of a real debate whether or not it's worth the complete. You might be thinking to yourself, is this really going to be worth it? Of course it is. The last boss takes you to the frigid outskirts, a desert of snow with wind obscuring your vision completely. You can immediately summon two NPCs to help you traverse this blinding snowstorm. The trick is to find a destination, in this case ruins, and just make a beeline for it. Why? Killer lightning-infused reindeer pop up and try to kill you. So keep moving. No exploring for items, just run. When you make it to the ruins, you're safe from the reindeer, but some do require you to clear out nights or hollows. After trekking through the snow-blind wastes, surviving the onslaught of reindeer, you will reach the entrance of the last boss of the DLC. Another cat. Yeah, this was kind of a letdown after all the build-up to it. This is Lud, the king's other pet. Basically a reskin of Ava. But wait, there's one more cat. You have to fight this one at the same time as well. Lud and Zalin, the king's pets. They are both the exact same as Ava, but have less health, and Zalin can buff himself. Basically, just take the NPCs with you and take them out one at a time. Depending on what you do first, this can be an anticlimactic end to an otherwise cinematic and memorable DLC. And with that, we've concluded all of Dark Souls 2. We've learned some history, made some new drinks, and hopefully I've made it interesting enough for you that you want to try it out for yourself. Like I said in the beginning, this initially was my least favorite Souls game until Scholar of the First Sin was released, so I suggest playing that version if you want to tackle this one yourself. I think you can still get the original version of Dark Souls 2 on Steam if you really want to see how far the game was changed or you want even more of a challenge, but I'll leave that up to you. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed this dive into the world of Dark Souls 2. It will be some time before my review of Dark Souls 3 is up, and I will be releasing some other reviews in between, but I will finish this beast I've created, so do not fret. Until next time, keep mixing drinks, keep playing games, and I'll see you then.